This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's Civilized Barking. Believe it or not, it's football season. Well, at least it's almost football season. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Jason Lloyd. Uh, As we record, we're like five days uh, from the Browns opening the season in Baltimore. I say light because I'm not exactly sure. We're all getting a hang of this. Jason, where you are, we're live, we're ready, and and we're anxious for football, right? I got to be honest, it doesn't feel like a football week. I don't know about you. It doesn't feel like there's an NFL game that matters days away. I I just – I. Maybe it's just the weird world that we're in. I just I can't believe that it's football season. Yeah, it's it's going to be awkward. I think it's going to be ugly at times, but we'll see. So first, um, to you guys listening, thank you for coming here. Um, as I was doing some things this morning in the process of convincing myself that it's actually football season and I have to get back in a routine, I stumbled upon the podcast numbers and you guys have been listening. So thank you for that. And please spread the word, um, share the links on Facebook, on Twitter, and help this thing grow. In an ideal world, and we know nothing about the Cleveland Browns um, for three decades now, has has been in an ideal world situation. We will have two of these a week at minimum. We will have one um, after games for you. We will have one building up to games for you. This week we have two. We have this one, and we'll talk more about the actual game and getting things started later in the week. So, um, again, it's a different travel schedule. It's a different circumstantial schedule. Um, the Browns play on Sunday and then they play again four days later. So I can't guarantee we'll have two podcasts in between that time. But the plan is for Civilized Barking to be delivered to you uh, on your purple podcast button, on Spotify, in your email, on your athletic feed, wherever it is that you get it, wherever it is that you listen. The plan is to keep bringing these to you. So Jason, um, you know, I'm not surprised that you said that because in many ways it feels the same to me. You know, the first few days of going to camp, which, shoot, goes back, you know, three and a half, four weeks now. Um, was super awkward to be there. It started to feel a little more like camp, but then all of a sudden it was over. There was no preseason. There was no real, you know, breaking point or breaking news other than injuries. Um, you know, it was – even that was abbreviated with the false positives the day they took half a practice off to talk about social justice initiatives. And, you know, the, the main thought – the Browns are certainly behind given all their change, and we will talk – you know, big, big picture, I think, about how this is finally where all that change is caught up with them, at least in the small point. But, you know, every team is going through no preseason. Every team went through preseason just trying to get guys healthy and almost up to speed. We don't know who's going to have timing. We don't know who's going to have a special teams disaster. And, you know, even though the NFL has done a wonderful job in the Browns organization specifically, no cases in their building. I think as we record this, there are only two guys in the whole league on the COVID list. That uncertainty is there. So Thursday night, the ball's going to get kicked. And Sunday afternoon, the ball's going to get kicked in Baltimore, we think. We have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what to expect. You have no idea what to expect. Do you think Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry know what to expect? You know, I would say that they have some idea and they obviously know their personnel. They know what their itinerary has been. Um, Stefanski, every time he gets asked a big picture question and he doesn't want to answer, he says, guys, I assured you we've talked about those things. But yes, in speaking for those two and speaking for the two of us and speaking for casual fans and hardcore fans and no one knows what the hell to expect. 
right? Like every team's routine has been different. Uh, Every team's priorities have been different. And every team comes in some level of cold or blind or whatever adjective you want to use to this weekend. But they count, right? There's no first game where you, you rest a starter even if he's got like a sore toenail, right? There's no letting guys sit or going gradually. Um, you know, I think some teams will be fine if it doesn't go well. But like for Stefanski, for the Browns, for this long quest back to respectability and stability, no one knows what to expect. Well, as we record here on uh, Tuesday afternoon, we, we can't expect Kareem Hunt to be around a little bit longer. Some breaking news as we record this that Hunt had agreed to a two-year extension, according to reports. You would all surprised by that? I, I know that we were kind of wondering toward the end of last year, would this be the end of Kareem and Cleveland? Would, can, can they coexist for long term? Clearly, it, it seems as if right now the Browns believe that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt can coexist. Yeah, um, you know what? My first thought is this is leverage for Nick Chubb. This this is you got Kareem at a really reasonable rate. You've believed in Kareem. You gave him the shot, even though it was different guys in charge, right? You give him a chance to stay on the straight and narrow to get back, and boy, does he look good uh, in camp. But having this guy gives you leverage, knowing that if Nick Chubb has a Nick Chubb season, that he's going to want that money immediately. And knowing that maybe you're not completely comfortable with that, even though Nick Chubb is the perfect player, the perfect prospect, the perfect citizen, because he's a running back, because so many teams have gotten burned by doing that. So um, I'm mildly surprised at seeing that pop up on my phone as we sit here and intro this podcast and timing's everything in this world, right? But um, I that is my first thought, that it is really insurance against Nick Chubb um, having a big season and saying I would like 60 guaranteed million dollars um, next offseason. It sucks that we have to say, well, this is – this is insurance <laughs> and that horrible aspect that Nick Chubb might have a huge season. Yeah. Screw the, like, you know, th- this is the way that financially you have to talk now. You want Nick Chubb to have a monster season. Yes. You want to have that. But I understand what you're saying. I understand the debate. Most long-term contracts with running backs don't work out. You don't want to invest big money in them. Uh, but, boy, I don't care. I, <laughs> if I'm a Browns fan, I want Nick Chubb to have a monster season. No, I want you're to right. put him in that. In that tough spot. Listen, um, the the theme of this is it's time for the Browns to have things that qualify as good problems to have, right, instead of the typical Browns problems. And as we look at this roster and embark upon this completely unknown journey that starts this Sunday in Baltimore, um, we, we you know, there there is so much uncertainty, but there's talent. The running back room is as good as, as it is. And when Ravens coach John Harbaugh – met with the media on Labor Day morning in Baltimore. He quoted the Browns in-house media verbatim, basically admitting that the Ravens had watched every minute of training camp on the live stream by saying, well, you know, we hear out there that they're the greatest running back combo that this league has ever seen, and and we just have to try to tackle them on Sunday. (laughs) But the fact is, for this offense, given these circumstances where everything's new, where you're going to have at least one rookie lineman making his NFL debut, where you're still trying to install a new scheme, and 10 days ago, you were in the installation phase, not the refinement stage, not the tinkering stage. Um, you're going to have to run the ball. And that's why they've invested in this offensive line and having these two running backs, uh, one who's a former NFL rushing champion, and then your starter who should have been an NFL rushing champion. Yep, It's a darn good place to start. You know, this probably maybe not is the appropriate time, game week, first game to mention this, but I got to tell you, I came across something 
I don't know, yesterday the day before about the cap space and teams with the most cap space in the NFL. And yet again, the Cleveland Browns, number one in available cap space. Zach, this pisses me off. Like, I am so tired of seeing the Browns. Well, look at all the cap space they have. Look, for 10 years, we've been talking about all the cap space that the Browns have. I understand it's it's you're holding it, you're preserving it for when guys deserve extensions and, and you can keep everyone. But, boy, I am getting so sick and tired of seeing the Browns at the top of the cap space list. Well, I mean, and that goes back to, you know, four years ago now when it was by design, when they were flaunting all these resources and collecting them. Yes. Um, you know, Jason, I think that's more circumstantial than anything else. I mean, you look at, okay, who are the most important players on this team? Well, Baker's probably number one, right? Nick Chubb's in the top three. Um, Miles is in the top three to five. Uh, Denzel Ward is in the top four to seven, right? Um, all of those guys except Miles are still on their rookie contracts. Yep. You know? And they spent a ton in the offseason. Like, the yes. Browns did what they were supposed to do. They, you know, they did. Um, I, they, I acknowledge that. Yeah, so they had it. So, you know, oh, listen, if, if all goes well, the Browns would love, love to cut big checks to Baker, to Denzel, and to Nick Chubb all between next January and next August. And that's all in the plans. But it has to happen for them you know, to get there. They would love to have to make hard decisions on, on other guys, um, you know, in, including J.C. Treader, who's in the spotlight this week, including Odell, who's always in the spotlight. You know, Odell and Jarvis both make over $14 million in cap figures, um, and the Browns are still lead the league in that. But, you know, with, with Austin Hooper also making $11 million a year, is that really going to last going forward? If you have to, you know, spend in other places, I don't know. So flexibility is good. But, yeah, I, I understand, Jason, like, Every year we kind of say this. This team's history really means little when things kick off on Sunday, right? Um, Each season takes its own. Each team writes its own chapter. All the cliches we could sit here and come up with. But the Browns have a lot of history to dodge. The Browns have new everything again for a reason, which puts them behind. The global pandemic puts them further behind, right? They lost 25 to 30 practices. They're starting a 21-year-old left tackle, maybe a 21-year-old center. We don't really know who the linebackers are going to be. We don't really know who the safeties are going to be. And the Ravens have Lamar Jackson. So, like, the history, until they beat it, until they shed it, it does follow them wherever they go. Yeah. Well, we know who one of the safeties is going to be. I want to get your thoughts on on the trade. I love the Rodney Harrison trade. Uh, Jacksonville obviously does not care about winning. They, They are following the Dolphins' plan of last year of let's take anyone who can play football and get rid of them as fast as possible. Uh, he's not making Fitzpatrick, but it, the uh, the deal kind of struck me is that on both sides, the Browns, I think, filled a huge need. Your thoughts on, on Ronnie Harrison, what he's going to bring to this team? Yeah, so I have a little bit of caution because he still has two years left on his rookie deal. So it's not like Jacksonville had to move on. I mean, his replacement is a fifth-round rookie. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you get a guy who's 23, who has two years, almost two full years of starting experience, who can play kind of both spots or, you know, now there's a third safety spot uh, in most NFL defenses. And the reason you need him is because Grant Delpit, a guy who you thought could play all those three and eventually become that combo back was lost to a freak practice injury, you know, a week into camp. Uh, So you bring in another young guy who you should have some upside, who is hailed as a smart player who can learn quickly and learn these multiple positions. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were always drafting a left tackle. They were always drafting a safety. Five guys played safety last year. Four of them are not 
on the team. You know, one of them, Sheldrick Redwine, who we don't know if he's a starting quality player, and the Browns just traded above him four days ago, so he's probably not a starting quality player, right? Yeah. They bring in Carl Joseph on a one-year prove-it deal. They bring in Andrew Sandejo, who's the oldest player on the team, you know, who's year 10 or year 11 in the NFL, uh, was cut last year, so he can play. Can he start for you? Are you good if he's playing for you? I don't know. You know, I think Andrew Sandejo's role was to teach the defense, was to tutor Grant Delpit. So, um, you know, you have to be flexible. The Browns have said that in every aspect from building the roster to installing the scheme to wondering if their stadium's going to be open, right? And, yeah, I think there's some intrigue with Ronnie Harrison. I think there's a chance that they that they stole a starter for, for basically nothing. Um, but, again, you know, I, I'm not sure what he can do for you this week or in the second game. And this goes to Treader and the injured cornerbacks too, Jason. I mean, next week there's really not a real practice day between Sunday at 4 p.m. and, and playing again Thursday at 8.20 p.m. You know, you get kind of two abbreviated practice days. Um, you jog through and you watch the tape and, and you put the guys under ice, especially first time playing football at all in many months, and they have to do this turnaround. So uh, I'm not sure how any of it will be go, but the, I, I caution everyone – as we track this through the week with the injuries and with his progress and who's where, like if a guy's not ready for Sunday, I'm not sure he's going to be ready for Thursday either. Well, you mentioned the Thursday game and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves now, but I'm wondering, do you think it's better or worse or the same to have the Thursday game this early in the season? Guys shouldn't be banged up yet. You would think that's the advantage, uh, but they just don't have a lot of practice time right now. Is it, is it, does it matter when the Thursday game comes? Is it better to have it earlier? Would you rather have it later? Well, I, I think it's a big advantage for the Browns in one area and a big plus for the Browns in one area. The big advantage to me is that it's against Joe Burrow who plays his first NFL game this year and then plays a second on no practice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the big plus I think Jason is that, you know, every team goes through it. And like you just said, every team has to deal with the nicks and the bruises and the lack of preparation time. And then just mentally, getting yourself ready in addition to physically, you know, being ready because some guys get hurt on Sunday and don't practice till Friday, right? Let alone play on Thursday. But the big thing is you get the long weekend after that. You get kind of a mini buy to reset, to actually have a practice that's about you rather than about your opponent and to just kind of take the time. So I think, especially with this team, I think roster lineup, rookies catching their breath, coaches making adjustments, executives making adjustments. I think that'll be huge for the Browns to say, okay, we had no preseason. We had these two games that were important in the big picture, but the most important thing is now that we're over, win, lose, or draw. And everybody kind of expects the Browns to be one-on-one after those two, right? Where where can we use – how can we best use this extra time and this chance to really get better and really start finding ourselves as late September rolls around? So I, I texted you today and I told you I wanted to, I'm a big loophole guy. I'm big on finding loopholes, <laughs> exploiting the margins, you know, looking for advantages where other people kind of dismiss it or, or don't really pay much attention to it. And I'm fascinated this year by the practice squad and the expanded practice squad, the extra bodies. The Browns are carrying a kicker on the practice squad. You would know better than I, but I don't recall that ever happening before. So then I went down the practice squad rabbit hole today, and I was looking at other teams' practice squads. Eight teams, eight, a quarter of the league is carrying a kicker on the practice squad. I, I don't – like in the past, a guy blows it and screws up, and you, you bring in three or four guys and audition, and you sign a new kicker, and you go on. But to, to, to burn a practice squad spot on a kicker, you know, obviously they're expanded this year. You can carry 16 now. 
And there is at least one team was carrying a punter. I even saw a long snapper on the practice squad. So I'm just, I'm wondering your thoughts. Is there an, is there a way to play expanded practice squad to your advantage? Are you surprised to see specialists on there that I don't recall that ever really happening before? And where is the loophole there? Where is the, where is the margin play on this that can, it, it doesn't exist to be able to use it to your advantage? Well, I'll start with the why. And my surprise is that 32 teams aren't carrying kickers. Uh, every Saturday morning, every player is going to take a COVID test. And every Sunday morning, they're at least going to have a temperature and a system check before they're allowed in that stadium. Yeah. So the big the, the practice squad from the outside going 10 to 16 and, and being able to keep veterans with a set salary, that's a huge change. But the bigger change is procedural, Jason. In the past, if you wanted a guy off the practice squad, by 4 p.m. Saturday, you had to make any roster moves. Well, this year, because of COVID, you get up till 90 minutes before the game. So what the Browns are doing by keeping Cody Parkey is not only giving a gentle nudge to Austin Seibert, uh, right, is, is he kind of, you know, hopes to go through and have an NFL career and become a more consistent kicker. But they're saying Austin Seibert was a punter in college as well. He is our emergency punter, and Cody Parkey is our emergency kicker. If we get in a situation to where we can't have a guy that morning because there's just too much at stake in this league that if you don't have a kicker or a punter and that costs you a game, if you have to go for two every time, right, and that costs you a game, you do that. So um, on the second day of camp, I noticed two Browns players. Steven Carlson was one, and who was the other one, a linebacker, long snapping after practice. And I didn't think anything of it other than the fact that just right where I was walking and right where I was turned as I was leaving the practice field, where they were. Well, on the fourth day, I saw him doing it again. And I thought, well, they have to have an emergency long snapper ready in case Charlie Hewlett gets COVID on the morning of a game. So um, that's really what that's about. So you talk about loopholes and strategy. Sure. I mean, the old strategy with the practice squad is – you could incentivize guys by paying them more to stay on your practice squad, saying eventually you're going to have a long-term home here. So you would do that, and then if another team went to pluck them or to sign them, they would have a decision to make, right? Well, now it's kind of like I can bring this guy up at any time, and even on game mornings you can bring up two guys per week to fill emergency spots without exposing them to the waiver wire on the way back. Um the strategy is more in, in having them ready. So only 80 guys came to camp instead of 90. The roster's still 53, but you take into account that all 16 of those practice squad guys are really only one button away from having to play for you, one failed test away from having to play for you. Still one sprained ankle, but now you know one uh, fever of 100 point whatever from, from having to play. Like all of those guys are on your team. And so, yes, there, it, sooner than later – Somebody who spends a week on a practice squad or somebody who got signed, you know, who got cut by Jacksonville or Indy, who is now on Seattle's practice squad, is going to play or be involved in a big play in a fourth quarter of a game this year. Uh, the fact Garrett Gilbert is on the practice squad and they're not carrying three quarterbacks, does that surprise you at all or is this, does that fall right in line with what we're talking about? It, it, it did initially, but now that given some time to process it, it did fall in line. So, um, you know, I think teams just were confident – that there wasn't enough tape on these young players for other teams to claim them. You know, the Browns have this undrafted rookie corner, A.J. Green, who they paid a big bonus after the draft to get him. And he was always a developmental prospect, obviously. Um, 
And they, they were confident that another team wasn't really going to pluck him. So they were able to get him through. He might be, he might never work out. He might get called up to the active roster in week two and never go back to the practice squad. They don't know, but normally you have to be much more careful. And I just think the Browns thought, okay, looking around the league, we didn't have preseason quarterback injuries this year, right? Because nobody's quarterbacks got hit. So we don't think anybody's going to claim Garrett Gilbert. And frankly, a part of that was thinking if they do, go, go right ahead. But we can use this roster spot on somebody we need. We bring Garrett Gilbert back to the practice squad, and he still has his exact same job every week, which is to be in every quarterback meeting and practice with the scout team in, off, in, in practice. Thankfully, it's time to start watching football again. There's no better way to do it at home than with Fubo TV. The NFL season is here, and Fubo.tv will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams as well as local broadcast news. You go to FuboTV.com slash athletic, F-U-B-O-T-V.com slash athletic. Go there today. Get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. FuboTV.com slash athletic. Start your first month today. You get 15% off the first month. The standard base plan will allow you to have two screens at once. You get NBC Sports included, local broadcasts, and all the NFL you want to watch at FuboTV.com slash athletic. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. Due to quarantine, it's very possible that you might have Zeke's haircut in your pants. Yes, guys, you know what I'm talking about. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving the same way you like to gamble on football. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is as good and safe as Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. Yeah, I know these puns, these fantasy football, whatever. This isn't the most comfortable thing to talk about, but Manscaped will help you take care of things. For a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. You get all that, 20% off, plus free shipping when you use the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com. Your code is ATHLETIC20. 20% off and free shipping with that code ATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. It's time to boost your hygiene with the absolute besties at Manscaped. Are you? We haven't really talked about this in a, in a while, and I don't want to get bogged down in, in COVID and coronavirus and all that, but are you at all any more optimistic that we're going to get through a season? I am. I'm a little bit more optimistic seeing baseball survive the Marlins early on and seeing that there was no uh, intra-team transfer when they had the huge outbreak that it didn't it really transcend to the other dugout and the other side of the field. I understand football. We've, we've spent – too much time as it is probably talking about the spitting and the sweating and the bleeding that takes place. It's obviously a much more contact sport than baseball, but just the fact that baseball is surviving without a bubble lends me hope a lot more than I had, frankly, a month or two ago that we're going to get through a season. Yeah. I would say I feel almost exactly the same you do about as you do about that. Now um, where I I still have some concern and, and this is, this is more in a week to week situation than the whole season getting shut down right, is that they tested every day in camp and guys were bogged down with responsibilities and guys' bodies were sore and camp was only three weeks long. So it was easy to keep that focus. It was easy to tell your family to stay away. It was easy to go home or go right back to the hotel after practice because you needed to sleep anyway, right? Well, now we get into this and more into the routine and guys let their guard down, right? And players still have a standard day off during the week. So – Teams are going to preach it, and testing is still going to go on. And, you know, they're, they're basically going to say without saying, we can't tell you not to go anywhere, but don't go anywhere. And I think most guys in the league are going to follow that, but not all of them are. So um, I would just 
finish that by saying, yes, I am super impressed with what the NFL did, with what the players themselves and the organizations did, you know, to give them that chance. The Browns completely transformed their facility. The uh, Only, you know, 125 people had tier one status. The scouts who were allowed in the building were sitting where the salespeople sit. Kevin Stefanski was wearing a buzzer that went off if he was within six feet of anyone for more than five seconds. You know, they had no cases in the building at the start of camp, and they did not add one player to the COVID list from the time camp started to the time camp ended. So they, remarkable. they did a remarkable job, and that that's impressive, and that's better than I thought. So it's just a matter, you know, of, of keeping it up. Um, you know, some people I know in the league, have they always thought that travel would be an issue. So traveling in the NFL has always been different than the NBA in Major League Baseball because you're only in that city sometimes for 24 hours, sometimes not even a full 24 hours. But the new rules say you can't leave the hotel at all. It's complete lockdown. You know, even when they get off that team plane, they're going to be put on nine buses rather than three. All Every precaution is going to be taken, right, um, It's to do that. It's just you're bringing them into, you know, different environments. And I know from early on in baseball that some teams, some players' concern was, hey, we went to the clubhouse in X city and they weren't doing the same things we were doing at home. So, right. um, you know, until we get there, we don't know, but I would completely agree that so far so good. And so far, very positive on all that front. And fans are going to be there. I was, I was really surprised by that. Uh, didn't really see it coming. Was pleasantly surprised. Governor DeWine said the Browns and bagels can have 6,000 fans, 1500 basically in each, in each end of the stadium. Uh, for for two games on a trial basis, and then see how it goes, and and possibly you know expand it from beyond that. We, it, it, I mean that's that's the Indians back in the day, six thousand in in a ten percent <laughs> stadium. It's it seems so strange to to think of only six thousand there. Uh, I don't know. Just what are your thoughts on there will be fans, but not a lot of them, and and what kind of environment will that make and. Do teams still have to pump in crowd noise like they have in the other sports? Yeah, so when the Browns did their, you know, scrimmage, practice, whatever, at the stadium, you know, it was different for me because we have a different entrance and all of that stuff. But I couldn't really get a gauge on anything else because it was still a practice, right? It was an afternoon yeah. summer practice. Um, going to Baltimore on Sunday and cardboard cutouts in the stands instead of 70,000 drunks, yes, that's going to be different. <laughs> Do it. I really don't know competitively. You know, obviously some stadiums are louder than others. Um, some environments are louder than others. And, but I still think the home team is going to have an advantage because they're sleeping in their own beds. They're going through their own routines. You know, all of that stuff. Um, you know, I think we're going to need to know. Like, you couldn't hear anything ever in Baltimore Stadium, right? Well, now, are you going to have to dummy up your audible calls and your defensive signals because the players can hear on the other team? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's all stuff that's hypothetical and goes back to my whole first point was I don't think anybody knows how this stuff is going to go. So is it going to be different? Yes. Is it really going to affect the play on the field? You know, I think we have to get those questions answered from the players and coaches themselves more than we know, like what crowd noise or the Steelers playing renegade and all that stuff that, that goes into all this. I really don't want to talk about Odell and why Odell's trending on Twitter today. So give me something else. You want to talk about Baker? What do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, listen, um, a goal for the Browns would to not be social media champions of the world. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I yep, know I said that fair. on text and we joked about it. And, and I think most people listening know what you're referencing. Odell apparently made a post 
in the last half hour referencing it himself. But oh like, my goodness. I, I really don't. So we, um, one of the things that I'll have posted later this afternoon, every NFL team on the athletic, a capsule preview where there's 10 or 12 categories and we all write, you know, everybody followed the same format basically, right? Different approach. Every team's different. So this morning I was reading a couple of my counterparts that were already posted. And I think it was the Patriots. And the headline was, what are realistic expectations for this team? And I sit here, Jason, and I can ask you that question while saying, if you ask me that, I don't know. I I could go eight or ten different ways on what are realistic expectations for the Browns. I I think it starts with it should be a really good offense eventually, right? I think realistically you could think that just being more disciplined and a more organized and a more adult football team could produce better results. But we have new schemes and new guys in charge and still in the AFC North and a rookie left tackle and all of this stuff. The injuries early on do not bode well for the rest of the season. Like, I don't know. I I mean, could this team make the playoffs? Yes. If they go 5-11 or 6-10, will I be shocked? No. Uh, If Denzel and Miles play to their capabilities, could this be a good defense? Yes. Could this also be a terrible defense? Yes. Yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't know what to expect. Yeah. Uh yeah, Odell on Instagram 22 minutes ago can't knock me off my pivot no matter what shit's thrown my way with a laughing emoji. So at least he's taking it in uh in in good fun it seems or in stride. Uh yeah, to your earlier point, I have a hard time believing this team could go backwards from last year. I just don't I mean, it's the Browns. So, you know, never set a bar they can't clear. But so much went against them last. They couldn't even put their shoes on the right feet. They couldn't put their uniforms on the right way. They couldn't get out of the huddle. They couldn't call plays that they ran in practice. Like very basic elementary things that you would think would have a hard time duplicated this year. Now, injuries are obviously number one factor in the NFL. Guys got to stay healthy. The right guys have to stay healthy. Give, let's, let's, play, let's assume that Baker plays 14 of 16 at least and is adequately better than he was last year. I, I don't see how they're at least I, – I, it's got to be 8-8, eight and eight, right? It has to be. It has to be. You can't be 6-10 and 10 again. You just can't be. They were so bad. They had so much talent, and yet they were so bad last year, and they still managed to stumble into six wins. I have to believe that they – someone would have to convince me that they can at least go 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, I, even in a worst-case scenario, they're 8-8, eight and eight, are they not? Well, if you look at the schedule – and if you look at the offensive talent, then yeah, I think that's where they are. I think, you know, although most of the questions lie on the defensive side, Jason, I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, Baker has plenty to prove. Yep. The, the offensive line is going to need time to grow, even in a regular circumstance. And these are very irregular circumstances. Um, and, and like I said, the defense, now they didn't have Miles and Olivier for most of December, and they just didn't have a chance, right? But just based on personnel moves, especially when you take Grant Delpit out, I mean, beyond getting those two guys back, where did they get better on the defense? You know, I, I don't know, <laughs> right? If, if Carl well, Joseph but, but, and B.J. Goodson are really good, but, you know. Yeah, I, I heard you saying, but just, just Miles' presence up front makes everybody better. Should. Like, that's, that's, that's significant look, to me. Look, like, early on, but the whole year, run the hell out of the ball. That's the best way to get your offensive linemen in the flow. That's the best yeah. way to shorten the game and help your defense, right? 
That's the best way to set things up. I mean, ideally, when this offense is fully installed and they're comfortable with it and they're clicking, they should be able to run the ball. That should set up the play-action game and the boot game where Baker is very good. Austin Hooper is a horse. He was super impressive in camp. Looks like he's going to be worth every penny, and if he's in the middle of the field, that's going to discourage you from doubling other guys, and it's going to open things up all over the field. That's the ideal world, right? Defensively, like just stop the run, just tackle some people, play with the lead on occasion, let Miles loose on third down when you do have the lead. Denzel plays 16 games, has a great year, locks down half the side of the field. All of a sudden, right, you're, you're making the playoffs. Okay, well, they haven't tackled anybody in 20 years. (laughs) hasn't played 16 games and again like they are starting from scratch in a division with two of the best smartest most stable organizations in football one who's getting their quarterback back and one who has the mvp of the league is 24 years old yeah right so it's going to come out on the athletic i don't know this afternoon tomorrow whatever we were tasked to go to nfl talent evaluators scouts coaches executives whatever Obviously, we have to do this anonymous. I don't like it, but it's how it is, right? So I went to two different guys, and I said, I just want thoughts on the AFC North from from where you sit, right? One was a coach in the AFC North who wouldn't talk about his own team. One was a scout for another team who used to work for an AFC North team, knows the guys, whatever. And he basically said, you know, you have the name brand teams and the Ravens and the Steelers where – you not as an outsider, you not only know what you're getting, but inside they know what they're getting. They know how to fix things. They know what they expect from guys, which is why they consistently have fourth, fifth, sixth round picks step in and play big because they know that. Well, what who are the Browns and Bengals and what do you expect from them? We just we just don't know that, right? And so universally people laud the Browns offensive talent. Well, we saw last year it never came together, or at least it never stuck together when it started to come together. Remember those first three games last year, Jason, when Kareem Hunt came in and they were averaging like 7.1 yards per play with those guys yep. in the backfield? You know, they, yep. they never built on that. I mean, did teams figure out how to defend it? Sure. They never built on anything. So, you know, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I forget who it was this morning. I was driving on the radio and they were saying, Baker, you know, he's still a young player. He's got room to grow. And if he just – will just play within himself and cut down the interceptions he can succeed. And I completely agree with that. But, like, the, the third year is when the Browns have to decide on his fifth-year option. And there's new guys in charge who are pretty married to him, but not totally. So, like, yeah. if he's not good this year, then he's not guaranteed anything, right? Yeah, I've I've been pretty staunch about that for months. I know you have, too. There's no more excuses for Baker. Like, this is it. This is the perfect system for him. Is the coach who's catered the entire offense to around his strengths. Uh, they they invested in the line. They invested in more targets. This is the year, and I, I, I've said this over and over again, you have to know by the end of the year what you have in Baker Mayfield. Yes. Good, bad, or otherwise, you have to know. You, you have to be able to make a decision going forward with the, with the long-term future of this franchise after this year. You're, you're out of time and out of excuses by December, January on Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So let's just say this. Um, you know, Jedrick Wills is a 10 most important player on this team. You don't need him to be a Pro Bowl left tackle right away, but if he doesn't grasp it, the quarterback's going to get killed, right? Yep. Denzel Ward is a top five to 10 most important player on this team because it's a huge year for him because he's he's got the skills to be a true number one corner, and if he can stay healthy and play like that, then everything gets easier for everything you want to do defensively. 
right? Like you can argue where Chubb is, where Garrett is, where Vernon is, where Sheldon Richardson is, right? And the Ravens have totally rebuilt the inside of their offensive line. And, you know, maybe Sheldon and Larry will kick people's asses this Sunday and the Browns will win the game. I don't know. But as you go through all those I don't knows and put them into lumps, there is no doubt that the most important player on this team is Baker Mayfield. And that's not to necessarily throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns and win the MVP. It's to distribute the ball. It's to master the offense over the first month or so, right? And it's just to not turn it – just give your team a chance to win. And then, as we've talked about for months, the little things like discipline and organization and building strengths and then just running the ball, which we know is your strength, maybe that can help you get over the top. I mean, I am not going to be shocked, Jason, if the Browns make the playoffs. But there's just so much new and uncertain that I'm not sure they can win more than they can lose. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on here at The Athletic. The Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there, covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Our writers are knowledgeable, experienced, they always chase the inside scoops, and have the ability to tell a great story. Simply put, we have the best newsroom on the planet. We want you to be reading if you're not already. You don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself by signing up for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash civilized barking, save 40% on an annual subscription. That's about $3 a month for total access to the best sports coverage in the world. What are you waiting for? Theathletic.com slash civilized barking and save 40%. As you were talking, I was thinking about this. There, there seemed to be so much, I don't know if it was pressure, it, there was on, on Baker to get Odell involved, to get him the ball. He's, it seemed force-fed at times. There were times where it was very obvious early in the game plan the idea was to get Odell involved, and it just never worked. For whatever reason, they just never really synced up. Does that get better in year two? Does that go away? Does the pressure – Baker as a rookie was so good at distributing the ball all over the field, getting everybody involved. And then last year it just seemed to be this obsession with trying to get him involved early on. Do you think it goes back now Now they've got a year in the system together I know we don't we won't know the actual answer until the games start counting and the ball start flying. But is your impression that Baker will go back to rookie year of being able to distribute the ball evenly, or is this still an obsession with trying to get Odell comfortable early? Yeah, I mean, I think there's organic growth on that front, right? And, and Odell is healthy, and Odell looked great in camp. Um, but I think one of the questions, and you just referenced part of it, is like, what happens when these guys aren't all getting the ball? Right, whether it's that they're failing or maybe that the run game is working, right? And in that Austin Hooper, who Baker clearly has a rapport with from what I saw in camp, is getting eight or ten targets and Odell's not getting them. So here's the question of the season, right? <laughs> There's a difference in Odell can jump over three people and make circus catches, and Odell has to jump over three people to get his touches. Yeah. So Baker's yeah. gotta be accurate. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> Baker's gotta be accurate if the offense is efficient this team will have a chance to win more than its share. No doubt about it. Um, if, if the quarterback struggles, and, and again, it, it, last year was not all his fault, and it won't be if it happens again. But then the questions are not, as we referenced, the questions are not just about this year. It's about the whole totality because I think anybody you would ask would say, okay, the table's set pretty well. Like this offense is freaking loaded from tight end to running back to receiver, right? So just go out and perform. Best offense in the, in the division? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, the Ravens are built so differently, and, and they're so deep um, yep. with what they do. And um, You know, and <laughs> the Steelers, 
with two guys who really don't belong in the NFL came one game from making the playoffs. That's how good their defense is. Now they get the quarterback back that they've always been in the playoffs with when he's healthy, right? Yeah. Shio Kapadia, I saw he does a great job for us. Uh, I, I was looking at his rankings, and, and he had the Ravens two and the Steelers six, and it was just like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> All the talk about the Browns and improvement this and structure that and discipline and grownups running the team, and oh, yeah, by the way, you still have the Ravens and the Steelers. you got to fight well, four times. Well, right, and, but listen, like, I really believe this. However Sunday goes, and I don't expect the Browns to win. I don't know if it'll be a disaster or not. However Sunday goes, if the Browns play disciplined, efficient football the next two games, they could be two and one after three. They play, yeah. the, they play the artists formerly known as the Redskins and the Bengals at home. I yeah. don't care if they lose 80 to six on Sunday. They could be two and one after three weeks and just starting to figure out what they're good at and what they're bad at. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. You'd sign yeah. up for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so definitely. Sunday is like the preseason game. It it really is. It really is. You pray that the rookie left tackle doesn't get anybody killed. You pray that Lamar doesn't completely embarrass anyone. You pray that Odell doesn't fight, try to fight Marlon Humphrey and get suspended for the next game. Right? I mean, it's, I, you're, you're laughing because oh, these are ridiculous statements. Because but they're all true. The, we're talking about the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> because it's true. It's all true. Yes. <laughs> so, like, just get out. Get healthy and come back and open your regular season in 10 days. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. Yeah. Guys, yeah. thanks for listening. Um, we'll stop. I got to write about Kareem Hunt. Got some other stuff to do. So um, interesting, t- interesting team. The Browns have rarely been accused of being boring. This is an intriguing team. There is a wide range of outcomes, and we'll keep covering it and discussing it. So stick with us here. Subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. We'll have another podcast later in the week, and the plan is to be back uh, after Sunday's game with yet another one. So stick with us on Civilized Parking. For Jason, I'm Zach. Talk to you soon.